series on emotional stability. I want to speak to you this morning on from stress to rest. Psalm 90 and verse 17 says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. What I'm going to share today is not a message that I plan to share. I thought it was something just for me. Uh, on this recent study break that I was on, uh, I didn't work on any sermons. In all the years that I've done study breaks, I've always gone and tried to work on a series, get deep into a series, knowing that life gets busy and hectic. So I was trying to get ahead. But on this one, several weeks out before I ever started, God said, I don't want you to work on sermons. I just want you to come and be with me. And so I went, took a case of books that I wanted to read that I needed to catch up on reading that didn't have anything to do with sermon work, just some spiritual books to edify my own soul and to listen to the Lord and to think about my own life, about the life of this church and about where we needed to go in the coming year and years and so I just was meditating and pondering, and I didn't expect the Lord to say to me some of the things that he said to me. In fact, I resented it on a couple of occasions uh, that he spoke to me so clearly about some things. And uh, so I'm going to share some with you. Some of this is not original with me. It came from books that I picked up along the way and thought, hmm, that would be interesting to read on this break. And so some of these thoughts are going to come from various authors that uh, I read during the study break. But uh, I, I have a hard time slowing down. Uh, I, I am a busy person. I like to be busy. My wife says, when I'm not busy, I'm pacing, thinking about how to get busy. Uh, if, if I have a lull, I'll reorganize a closet. Or some of you, you must do that. If I have a lull, I'll uh, start cleaning my desk or moving books around, and I, I'll start walking through my library and saying, "Well, maybe I'll do this shelf in alphabetical order. I'll just, I'll find something to do, something to keep me busy." And and I don't chill out easy. I just don't. I'm always thinking about what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying that as a confession. In 28 years that I've been the pastor of this church, I have never in one year ever taken all of my allotted vacation. Now you may say, well, you're gone a lot. Well, when I'm gone on study break, I'm working for the church. <laughs> and when I'm gone preaching somewhere I'm representing this church. It's not a vacation. If you don't believe that, go through TSA sometime. Travel has long since quit being fun. But it's on assignment from the Lord with things that He calls me to do sometimes. But, but I've never taken all my vacation. My, my wife reminds me of that often. My kids have reminded me of that often. So we'll rush to vacation and rush home and then i rush back to what I was rushing at doing before I rushed out for a brief vacation. So it's hard for me to rest. It's, I can be very driven as a person. 
One author said, in a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, rest is sloth. The world system encourages busyness. In fact, it says that, that busyness is good, but sometimes busyness is just being busy. You're not being productive. Now, first lesson I learned. Rest is first and foremost an attitude. You got to get your mind out of gear. You got to quit thinking about the things that you're thinking about. You, rest is, is an attitude. It's a mindset. If, if we're going to gear back and chill and learn how to get the rhythms of our life like they're supposed to be. Rest is, first of all, an attitude. And can I tell you something? Stress is addicting. Stress is addicting, especially if you are a driven person or a, a highly motivated person or a type A or high D personality. Stress is motivating. And you can live off of adrenaline for a season. And by the way, preaching and leading and teaching or doing it, that's, that's an adrenaline rush, but you have to rebuild your adrenal glands. You just can't go and go and go and go. You've got to rebuild, which is why God made rest for us. And so there's this constant going, and yet Jesus said that we were to honor the things that the Lord had told us. God told us to honor the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was a day of rest and mind renewal. We don't worship on the Sabbath. We worship on the Lord's Day. But I went for mind renewal because 1 Peter 1.13 says, prepare your minds for action. So if i got to prepare, i got to think. And to think, I've got to not be acting. i got to be thinking so I know how to act. So let's talk about the value of hard work. We in America have built a great country by what has been known historically as the Puritan work ethic. The Puritans were hard-working people. They worked with their hands. They worked with their minds. They built a work ethic in America that was second to none to anywhere in the world. But what we have done is we have added on to, because of the increases of technology, more work than sometimes that we can take on. And so we're bound then by the tyranny of the urgent. We run hard, we work hard, we play hard. We're often hard on ourselves and, and we can't say no because we're afraid we'll hurt somebody's feelings and so we say yes to things that we don't need to say yes to and then when there are things we need to say yes to, we're worn out, tired, too busy doing things we shouldn't have said yes to. Anybody ever find themselves there? All of us work. And you say, well, I don't have a job. I'm a stay-at-home mom. You're working. You're working. And husbands, if you're saying your wife's not working, oh, man, there's a beating coming your way. <laughs> Look at this quote. We spend most of our lives working. And when we're not working, we spend most of that time thinking about it, complaining about it, fretting about it, preparing for it, and recovering from it. Here's why we're stressed. We lack balance. We lack balance in our lives and our thinking. We fail to understand our calling. By the word, every one of you that works has a vocation. 
You know what the word vocation means? The word vocation means the work that the voice told you to do. The work that the voice told you to do. So God said to Adam, because of sin, you will work the land. So Adam worked the land. Noah built a boat. The tabernacle and the temple were built by skilled laborers and workers. Jesus was a carpenter. Peter was a fisherman. Paul made tents. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica that was just not working because they thought, well, Jesus is coming back. I don't need to get a job. He said, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. See, there's nothing wrong with work. When work becomes a problem is when we're out of balance in the rhythm and the pace of our life. Ron Dunn used to say, you know, you can wash dishes to the glory of God. I want you to look at the quote in your notes by Martin Luther. I love this quote. I couldn't pass it up. The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. So there's some suggestions that I want to make before we go to the second point. Make what you do vocationally an offering to God. Make what you do vocationally an offering to God to you. Your job, your assignment, your task, your skill, make it an offering to God that, that today my preaching needs to be an offering to God for the work that He's allowed me to be in and to be called to. Secondly, next time you're stressed about work, ask God to help you rejoice in it. Ask God to help you rejoice in it. Now, some of you are already thinking ahead to that person or that thing or whatever it is that you're going to meet on Monday and you're not rejoicing. You're already stressed about it and you're 24 hours away from it. Next time you're stressed, ask God to help you rejoice in it. Number three, pray for those you work with or work for. Make the people you work with part of your prayer list. That you're praying for them because they feel stress like you feel stress. They're under pressure like you're under pressure. They've got issues like you've got issues. So pray for them in what they're going through. And then fourthly, make a list of the blessings work has given you. And let me just suggest some since some of you say, well, I can't think of anything. Let me tell you what work gives you. A car to drive. A roof over your head. A bed to sleep in. Food to eat. Give some of you health care. Dental. Medical. Vision. It provides a lot for you that sometimes you take for granted because if you didn't work, you wouldn't have those things. So make a list of the blessings. The things that you're able to do for your kids and for your grandkids because you work. So hard work is not a problem. But there's the value of a renewed mind and nothing changes until our minds change. I, I, I've thought about this often. I haven't applied it well. Jesus established a global ministry in three years and He was never in a hurry Never late, always on time. Now what is it you're doing that's so important? 
that you and I are always in a hurry and we're not establishing any worldwide ministries in what we do. He did it in three years. I mean, you would think if God wanted to establish a worldwide ministry that at age 12, Jesus would have become the child preacher and he would have preached and would have lived till he's like in his 80s and gotten aboard and gotten established and gotten all kind of systems in place. No, he spent three years telling people that didn't know how to do what he was telling them to do that I'm going to give you the power to do it if you'll trust me. He was never in a hurry. We need a renewed mind about what our work accomplishes and what God wants us to accomplish. We are to sanctify the Lord. The word sanctify means the Hebrew root is to betroth or to pledge to marry someone. So if I want to renew my mind about my work, about my patterns in life, about the rhythms of my life, the first thing I have to do is remember I'm betrothed to the Lord before I am even to my family or to this church. By the way, if I'm biblically in balance, this church is third, not first. The Lord is first, my family's second, and this church is third. And what happens is we get our work to be our God and then we wonder when our God fails us, what happened? But we are to sanctify the Lord in our hearts. Look, look at the quote by the cultural historian. And this is going to speak to some of you. In fact, there's going to be a brick that's going to fall on your foot in about 10 seconds. He talks about the waiting for the weekend mentality. When we see work as only an extended interlude between our real lives, that real life being what you do on the weekend, he says leisure has become the despot, the dictator of our age, enslaving us and exhausting us, demanding more from us than it gives. That's why we run here and there, we go to the beach, we go to the lake, we go to the mountains, we go here, we go there, we run here, we run there, we go to those persons, this person's this event, that event, and then by Sunday, we're too tired to go to church, and on Monday, we already resent going to work because we think we lived for one day off on the weekend. There's no rhythm. That's why people show up at church tired on Saturday, because you're trying to... Uh, on Sunday, because you're trying to do everything in the world. Run all over the place. Get up early, go to bed late, step, watch the ball game, do everything. Like you don't have a DVR. Like you can't record it. Run, 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 run. And then you think about Monday and you hate going to work. Because you're running and you're not in rhythm. Because you think one more trip to the lake is going to make you happy and one more fishing trip is going to make you happy and one more golf game is going to make you happy and, and one more tennis match is going to make you happy and one more club to join is going to make you happy and all you are is tired and not happy. I mean, there's an old rock and roll song from the 60s that says, slow down, you move too fast. Got to make the morning last. Feeling groovy. <laughs> Some of us are way out of our groove of where we need to be. Now, in the Greek, there are two words for time. Chronos, 
which is like clocks or calendars or daytimers, it comes from a minor Greek god, Kronos, who was, now listen to it, what's the word Kronos? Clocks, time, calendars. The minor Greek god was named Kronos, and he was a glutton, and as a minor deity of the Greeks, he spent his life as a cannibal gorging himself. Kronos, time. One writer said that Kronos is the presiding deity of the driven. Consuming ourselves, gluttons for more and more and more. Never satisfied with what we have or where we are or what God has given us. The second word is kairos that views time as a gift or a season. Kairos has this view in mind. What is this time for? What is the time for? Kairos, chronos, calendar, time, clock. Kairos, what is the time for? Ecclesiastes says there is a time for everything and for every season. So I'm going to ask you some honest questions that I've had to ask myself. Number one, am I on a path that is consuming me? Am I on a path that is consuming me? Am I burning the candle at both ends? Am I running so hard, so fast, doing so many things, unable to say no to the things I need to say no to, that I find myself being consumed by things that will not matter five seconds after I'm dead. What's consuming you today? Secondly, am I spending my time in a way that glorifies God? Am I spending my time in a way that glorifies God? Psalm 139.24, lead me in the way everlasting. So in what I'm doing, glorify God. Now remember, you can sweep floors to the glory of God. You can wash dishes to the glory of God. You can cut grass to the glory of God. But if you become so consumed by the task that you can't, in the middle of it, give God glory for it without gritting your teeth about it, you're out of rhythm. Number three, this is a hard one. Have I taken my thought, thoughts, choices, and calendar before the Lord? Have I taken my thoughts, what I think I need to do, who I think I am, what I think I'm supposed to be assigned to? Have I taken my thoughts, my choices, and my calendar before the Lord? Am I asking God to show me where I'm wasting time and not being a good steward of the time that he gives me. Mark Buchanan was asked, what was his biggest regret in life? And this is what he said. Being in a hurry. Getting to the next thing without fully entering the thing in front of me. 
I cannot think of a single advantage I've ever gained from being in a hurry. But a thousand broken and missed things, tens of thousands, lie in the wake of all that rushing. The Chinese have two characters that form a picture of busyness. One is the heart, and the other is killing. Busyness kills the heart. We are a stressed out society. And we are busy, and we are killing ourselves and our future with our busyness that is not adding the value of eternal things to our lives. We're not laying up treasures in heaven. We're building treasures on earth. So the value of remembering. If you would turn to Exodus 20, and then we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, Exodus 20. And I want you to see the slight difference between Exodus 20, where we're told to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, and Deuteronomy 5. There's a, a slight difference between these two. And we need to see them because they tell us two different things. This is one of those things that as much as I've read this, all of a sudden I'm reading it and I go, well, when did the Lord put that in the Bible? Because I've missed that for the last 40 years as to the different reasons why we are to rest. Exodus 20 and verse 8, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You and your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So you see in your notes, in Exodus, God goes back to God as creator, and he goes back to Eden, and he, he reminds us that we are to imitate God by resting. Exodus looks up to God. It gives us a theology of rest. Now, did God have to rest? Did God have to rest? Why did he rest? To tell us we need to rest. God worked six days and he rested on the seventh. You worked six days and you worked seven. Where's the problem? We're not imitating God. We're not resting in the Lord. It speaks of God's character. It's an invitation. It's a reminder we aren't God. Listen, we are invited to imitate God so that we don't think we are God. We're invited to get a rhythm and a pace in our lives to imitate God so we don't think we are God. We're frail. We're flesh. We have a treasure in earthen vessels. Stephanie sent me this. I'd sent her the notes for the slides and everything, and this is an old article uh, from John Piper. It said, why did God imagine sleep? He never sleeps. He thought the idea up out of nothing. He thought it up for his earthly creatures. Why? Psalm 127 and verse 2 says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved in his sleep. So I'm going to skip some of it. It says, God made sleep as a continual reminder that we should not be anxious, 
but should rest in Him. Sleep is a daily reminder from God we are not God. He who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber, Psalm 121 verse 4, but Israel will, for we are not God. Once a day, listen to this, once a day, God sends us to bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to think we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. How humiliating to the self-made corporate executive that he has to give up all control and become as limp as a suckling infant every day. Sleep is a parable that God is God and we are mere men. God handles the world quite nicely while the hemisphere sleeps. Sleep is like a broken record that comes around with the same message every day. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. He is not nearly so impressed with our late nights and early mornings as he is with the peaceful trust that casts all anxieties on him and sleeps. Deuteronomy 5. So Exodus tells us that we're to imitate God and remember we're not God. That's why we rest and we get our lives in a rhythm. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 12. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Verse 15. You shall remember, now here's why. Different wording than is in Exodus. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So Deuteronomy, in your notes, is grounded in the deliverance from bondage in Egypt. We're to remember where we've come from and what we've been saved out of. It's a reminder of God's redemption. And what Deuteronomy says to us and what applies to us is this. Don't go back and become enslaved to your work. The slaves in Egypt had no choice. Every day, all day, every week, all week, every month, every year, for decades, for hundreds of years, they were enslaved and they had no choice whether they were working or not, or how long they could work, or what the results of their work would be, or whether they would be punished or blessed for their work. They were constantly under the pressure of work. And God says, don't become a slave to work. Remember, I saved you so that you could be set free. Not from work, but from being enslaved to work. So here's the warning. Exodus is an invitation. Deuteronomy is a warning. Both of them remind us we're not God. Deuteronomy says, when you were slaves, you didn't get to rest. But when God delivered you, He set you free from the taskmaster. Don't go back and enslave yourself 
to the job. Do your job. Worship God on your job. But find the rhythm of your life as a man or a woman, as a family, to be what God called you to be because He called the family before He called you to a job. I'm going to read you a long quote because I couldn't let go of it. Mark Buchanan said, Rest is a condition of liberty. God calls us to live in the freedom that He won for us with His own outstretched arm. Sabbath is a refusal to go back to Egypt. The lie the taskmasters want you to swallow is that you cannot rest until your work's done and done better than you're currently doing it. But the truth is, the work's never done and never done quite right. The rest of God, the rest God gladly gives is not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It's a sheer gift. It is a stop work order in the midst of work that's never complete and never polished. When God said, let my people go out of bondage, it was that they might worship me. Here's the problem in America today. The average person interviewed about what it means to be a faithful member of a church say they go once a month. Now you can't do anything else in the world once a month and be considered faithful. But we do it with church, and you know why? Because we don't rest. Because we're busy, so we miss church, and then we miss church again, then we miss church again, then we miss church again, then we miss it again, and we never rest, and we miss it again, and we never rest, and we miss it again. And then when we show up at church, and it's the first time we've sat down to let God speak to us, we say, you know, I'm just not getting anything out of this. I'm just not being fed. I mean, it's just not helping me. Well, because you hadn't sat down long enough. I mean, you're not even wholly sitting down on your seat right now. You're halfway up thinking we're close to end. On your way to get a cup of coffee so you can get wound up some more. He said, let my people go that they might worship me. In other words, God says, look, I'm giving you rest for work for one reason, worship. Your personal worship of me. Your joint worship of me. The rest that you find in laying aside all that stuff and realizing that you can let your task be your taskmaster. Your to-do list can be the chains that hold you and enslave you. And your technology can keep you from resting and listening to God. Now, just so happens, I wasn't planning on doing this message. This was one I was just between me and Jesus. And I mean, I just sat down on a Friday afternoon two weeks ago when I got back and I sat down. So well, I'm just going to write some notes for me. This is just so I don't forget. And so I got then I worked on it a little more the next week. And then, you know, I shot the email with the message to Debbie and to Stephanie and went and got my USA Today and picked it up. And this is the front page of section B of that day. We're exhausted. Stress, social media, taking a toll. 
Now, you didn't write it, but your picture could be right here. My picture could be right here. We're exhausted. Stress and social media. Well, I ought to read some of it to you since I need USA Today to be an expert on my theology of work. Tiredness seems to be the new normal for a growing number of people regardless of their age or background. Causes range from illness such as anemia, depression, hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, to the increased overuse of technology and its implications on our mental well-being. Yes, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram can wear you out, says Patricia Bratt, a therapist and psychoanalyst with offices in New York and New Jersey. Bratt works with young adults who check their social media constantly at all hours of the day and night, and they all complain that they are tired. It impacts their sense of themselves and their identities and makes them anxious, she says. Social media has created a new sense of impulsiveness and urgency that makes people feel overwhelmed. In July, a survey conducted by the National Safety Council found that 97% of Americans have at least one of the leading risk factors for fatigue. The chairman of the Behavioral Health Services of St. Joseph's Healthcare System in Patterson, New Jersey, says that people are constantly receiving stimuli from their computers and phones, and this has created constant stress that disrupts sleep and disrupts the rhythm, rhythms. Dealing with these stresses, she says, requires relearning how to relax. Set a time, say 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. when you turn off your computer and TV screens. We aren't supposed to be receiving and processing information 24-7. Stop. Take a pause. You know why teenagers are growing in stress and in heart disease and in high blood pressure and in anxiety? Because they can't put that thing down that's in their hand. And some of you walked into church today and rather than fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in Christ, you got your stinking phone out and checked your Facebook page. Because that's more important than preparing your heart to meet with God. You are not resting. You're not preparing to meet with and speak to and listen to God. You're so worried you're going to miss somebody's stupid recipe or their picture from their camping trip and you won't have hit the like button 183 times before church started that you were stressed before church ever started because you're scrolling you think, oh my gosh, the choir's coming in. i got to get through. i got to check Instagram. Should post a picture from yesterday. Got to hit a Twitter. i got to do this and Snapchat. Oh, should do that. And Marco Polo with my family. i got to do all of this stuff. And then, hey, how about we chill out a little bit? I don't have time to chill out. Yeah, you do. You're carrying your stress in your hand. And you have to recharge the battery on that thing. What makes you think you don't have to recharge your battery? I mean, your phone wears out because you wear it out. Oh, but I'm fine. I'm fine. No, you're not. 
You're not recharged. Let me give you a scripture. Isaiah 58, 13. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interest on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then, verse 14, the Lord will be your delight. When I find rhythm, then the Lord's my delight. My ministry's not my delight. This church is not my delight. The Lord's my delight when I have rhythm. In other words, do what God says, delight in the Lord, and you will find joy. Jesus put it this way. Come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Would you pray with me? I want you to just take the seat that you're in. Not your spouse, not your kids. I want you to take the seat you're in and make it an altar. That's your altar today. You, you can kneel if you want to. You if you can't kneel, that's fine, but just make your seat an altar today. Now, can the Lord speak to you right now about finding rest? Very intentional. Are you scared right now to even say to the Lord, here's my calendar, here's my work, here's my phone, here's all the things that I am busy doing, and I lay them at the cross. I'm putting it on the altar. Lord, I want to find rest. I need a better rhythm in my life. If you've ever been to the doctor and he said to you, well, your heart is racing or your heart's out of rhythm and we're going to need to get it back in rhythm. Our spiritual hearts can get out of rhythm. We just have so much we want to do and so many places we want to go and so many people we want to see, but the reality is we overrun the Lord and we outrun the Lord and then we wonder why the Lord is not there and why we don't have peace and joy in our lives. It's because we're ahead of God. We're not remembering. Or we are enslaved to a taskmaster that can never be satisfied. Your job. It's never going to be finished. It's never going to be complete. The day you leave, they'll hire somebody else. So can you just breathe in the Lord today? Can you just take a deep breath today?
and say, Lord, I need to clear some things up in my heart, in my life, with my family, on my calendar. You see, busyness can be a cover-up for an empty spiritual life. We don't have time for God. We're too busy. We don't have time to be still and know that He is God. We're too busy. We run from here to there and we miss God in the little moments. He was not in the earthquake. He was, he was not in the, in the powerful wind. God was in the still, small voice. And when we're busy, we never hear the still, small voice that says, go here, don't go there. Do this, don't do that. Stop here. Think this. Read this. Meditate on this. Think about what you want your life to be going forward. Think about how you want to use your time going forward. And rest in the Lord. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to help us in the busyness of this world. And Lord, you know we're not in a place that's as busy as most of the metropolitan areas of the world, but we still can make ourselves busy. We don't pace ourselves and we don't do what we need to do and get our lives and our bodies and our hearts and our minds in rhythm. Lord, I pray this has not just been words that we'll think about for a few minutes, but words that we will ponder and chew on and meditate on in the days and weeks ahead about how to be better people by learning to find our rest in you. God, speak to hearts. Help us to have the courage to make adjustments we need to make. To not run so hard and so fast that we miss the blessings of breathing the air that you've given us to breathe and seeing the things that you've allowed us to see. We never enjoy it because we're always running to the next thing. Lord, help us to move from stress to rest. And the people of God said, Amen. Before Stephen comes, Stephen, you, you come on up. You know, we have a saying around here that, you know, that's in the 11th commandment that you take a nap on Sunday afternoon. Um, that is rest. But that's not all of it. You say, well, I work five days a week and, and I've got all these tasks to do and stuff. Part of rest, what, what I learned over the last few weeks, part of rest is the day you're resting, 
you may be doing things different from your normal. In other words, you're not doing the same thing you always do. You've changed your routine. So you work in an office, it may be restful for you to get out and push a lawnmower. That may be restful for you because you don't you like to do it. But you don't get to do it any other time because you're always inside an office and you like to get out and do that. That can be restful. But always view it as a change of pace. It's a change of rhythm. It's getting you out of, at 8 o'clock on Monday through Friday, I do this. At 10 o'clock, I do this. At 12 o'clock, I do this. The day of rest is to get you out of that rhythm so that you can reestablish a connection with the Lord and remember that it's about Him. It's about Him. All right? Well, I've been honest with you today. I hope it helped you. And uh, tonight, uh, we're going to look at four people at the end of uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. We're going to kind of piggyback on uh, what Bob Bakke did on Wednesday night at Refresh and talk about some of the people on Paul's team and the lessons we can learn from their lives. And really, this is built off of a statement that Bob made that history is transformed by relationships. My life is transformed by relationships. By the people I know, the places I go, the people I meet, the books I read. Those things have impacted my life. And it's by the relationships we have with one another that helps us to see the right rhythm so that somebody can speak into our life and say, you ought to stop doing that. You ought to slow down a little bit. I notice that your kids don't think you pay any attention to them. I notice that you and your wife never go out on a date anymore. You need to start. You, you need to be in relationships that help you along the journey because we get blind spots and blinders and we forget that God saved us to have a relationship with Him, not religion, and with one another.